Welcome once again to See Speak Minnesota, the language of executives. I'm Jordana Green, as always, with my partner and co-host, Kate Kelly, Regional President of PNC Bank. Hi, Kate. Hi, great to be back. Great to be here. We're super excited about this month's guest. Jeff Martha is the chairman and CEO of Medtronic. Jeff leads the, get this, a $30 billion company and its 90,000 employees in pursuit of fulfilling the Medtronic mission. And that mission is to use technology to improve human welfare. He's recognized as a driven and innovative executive, ranking in modern healthcare's 100 most influential people in healthcare in 2020, and listed as the number one CEO in healthcare technology by the Healthcare Technology Report in 2021. High praise, and Jeff, we are so lucky to have you today. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to uh, to be here. Well, I'd like to add my welcome, Jeff. This is going to be a great conversation, and I plan to learn a lot. Um, but before I ask you a first question, um, again, this is... Uh, Kate from PNC, I would like to just share, maybe I'm a typical Minnesotan, but I was preparing for this and I had so many warm connections with Medtronic, stemming from our mutual friend and Gus Barr, who's a rock star here at PNC in leadership. But then also I was thinking about, you know, my, you know, my sister, who's chief of uh, cardiac thoracic at the U of M. And over these many years, learning about the great collaboration that Medtronic has with the U of M, stemming back to Earl Bakken and Walt Little High. And then, of course, my brother who works there, he retired once already from Medtronic as a lead engineer in your R&D department, but he's come out of retirement because he loves his work so much, so he's back with you. But my, the, my favorite story, if I could share this, is my father was a cardiologist who, or internist who specialized in cardiology in his day, and back in grade school, somehow I got my hands on a pacemaker, and I brought that to grade school as my show and tell, and, and I remember it being you know, pretty small in the days, but I'm hearing that that was math, you know, just large compared to the size that we have nowadays. So um, that was a fun story and just so many um, nice connections. And I think I'm very similar to many Minnesotans on those. So welcome again. Um, just thrilled to have you on our Sea Speak Minnesota. Uh, but I'm going to jump into our first question, if I could. Um, you took over as CEO in 2020 amidst a global pandemic. How did this impact your transition? First, Kate, before I jump into that, I do have to acknowledge it. it one of the privileges of the job is he hearing stories like you just said and connections like you just said, especially here in, in Minnesota. We There's a lot, but there's patients globally that have been impacted by Medtronic. I mean, we impact the lives of two patients every second. So that, that adds up. Uh, and, and like you, uh, you're probably still not carrying that pacemaker around with you, but I actually do carry <laughs> lots of show and tell toys around with me all over the place. And I know you're, this is more of an audio only, but th this is our latest pacemaker. And wow. I'm holding up this, something the size of, you know, uh, it's, it's like a, a pill. Uh, mm -hmm. No lead, no wires like the old pacemakers goes directly into the chamber of your heart. So it's amazing that Medtronic invented the first with Dr. You know, with, with our father Earl Bakken and, and Dr. Walt Lillehei, who's a cardiac surgeon here at the University of Minnesota. And, and they, they came up with uh, working together, the uh, identifying this unmet need, came up with the first wearable pacemaker. It wasn't implanted, you know, and it was a kind of a box, you know, and plugged into the wall, or it didn't plug into the wall. It was a battery powered pacemaker. Right. That was the whole concept. So it didn't have to plug in the wall. And here we are with this little tiny, you know, pacemaker now that's inserted right into your heart uh, with a catheter, not even a cut down procedure. And it's, you know, the size of a, like a vitamin. Uh, and so, um, it really is amazing, and the company's had a huge impact on healthcare. And it's an honor to to uh, to 
be in a leadership role, be part of the company at all, let alone a leadership role. Um, and, you know, getting back to your question, you know, about uh, key learnings. I mean, I, I did learn a lot over the last, I'm still learning a lot and have a lot more to learn, but I did learn uh, my, my learning curve was, I would say dramatically accelerated by, by the pandemic, you know, it took over, uh, you know, right as the pandemic peaked in, uh, in 2020 in the spring. And it was April timeframe when I officially took over. Um, and, uh, you know, and at the same time we had, uh, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to some, we were one third of the world's ventilator supply and critical care ventilators. And that was a hot topic back then. And so, you know, I, 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 you know, we can talk about that if you'd like, but, you know, the lessons learned, you know, for me, well, you know, a big company like ours, um, you know, wasn't, you know, and this is something we're trying to change. It wasn't built for speed, you know, and maybe originally it was, but, you know, after 70 years and, you know, you know, $32 billion of revenue, hundred thousand, you know, over, over 90,000 employees, you know, we've slowed down a bit. And so, but, you know, when we're focused on something, um, we can really work fast. And, you know, the ventilator story is a good one where we, we increased our ventilator production, you know, five times. That's just our own production, then partner with other companies to create other capacity um, and, and innovated the ventilator in weeks, created all kinds of new functionality. Um, so when you focus, we can work and we can be fast. Um, you know, we've learned um, to be more open, uh, you know, and, and to partnerships and collaborations with all kinds of you know, uh, uh, stakeholders and, you know, our competitors, uh, we did, but, uh, you know, not, you know, our, our customers, our hospital customers, uh, even companies outside our industry, like Intel or even SpaceX. And so, uh, collaboration. And then, um, the, the other, the other thing I think we learned is a, from a technology trend is just, um, something we'd been working on is, but just remote everything, you know, is what we're calling it, you know, remote patient management, remote device, you know, we, we put little computers inside of people, right? That what I just showed you is a, basically a computer, right? That pacemaker and how you can control those things and, and monitor patients remotely or monitor the devices remotely, train physicians remotely. I mean, we used to, you know, get physicians together on the weekends because they're operating during the week and train them. Now we're using augmented reality, virtual reality. So a lot of, we, we can do a lot more things virtually, not just you know, everybody talks about working from home and all that. We had to do that too, but I'm talking about our business. Uh, you know, we're not converting to all virtual, but we've learned to to be much more efficient uh, in the way we do our core business. That's great. Fascinating, Jeff. <laughs> I appreciate all of that. Um, and I just briefly, you, you answered the question that's in my head. What did you create during COVID at, at Medtronic? And the ventilator story is a good one. And it's amazing that a giant company can work so quickly, but... Um, did you have to change much then internally because you mentioned working from home? How can you do that when you need to be in a lab with others? How did you keep your employees safe and still be able to innovate during this time? Well, we put we put three priorities in place, like many companies. You know, ours was a little unique because we're in healthcare. One was the personal health and, and wellness of our employees. You know, the second uh, priority was keeping our products flowing and supporting our, our healthcare systems around the world, you know, and patients. Uh, and in some areas that was more important than others. So certain procedures slowed down because uh, elective cases were slowed or stopped, and, but other procedures were sped up. You know, other products were needed in like ventilators and, and products associated with ventilators we needed a lot more of. And then the third priority was, was 
um, you know, being a good corporate citizen in the communities. And we made a lot of philanthropic grants and did our part to, to, with our employees on vaccines and, and, and social distancing and everything like that. So, you know, these are the three things. And, you know, so for our employees, like our, our like many, uh, like our, main, our operations people, manufacturing, supply chain, they kept the, we kept them in the factories and our distribution centers to keep that, hit that second goal of keeping our products flowing. So we socially distanced and, and uh, we were able to do this. And, and then uh, the second cohort of employees, uh, our, our sales reps are, you know, our field-based employees are out there with, um, with physicians still, you know, our, our, our field-based, you know, our sales reps are more than just selling equipment. They're actually supporting cases. They scrub in. And so they continue to do that, you know, uh, less frequently than prior to the pandemic, but uh, still that kept going. And then the third cohort is our R&D team. I mean, they, they did a lot of things remotely, but they did, uh, if you look at our overall employees, they did, um, you know, to a certain degree, stay in the office. So maybe it wasn't every day, but you, you can't do everything virtually. We're actually doing research like our some of our research labs where you have to be in the lab, you know, we kept them going and, and like ones in the state of Minnesota and work collaboratively with the government to, to get a, um, you know, kind of a exemption to some of the, the, the policies there to keep our labs going for the, the benefit of healthcare. And, and uh, so that's what, that's what we did, but there was a, you know, like many companies, we, we learned collaborative tools and we had our, like our customer service groups all went from call centers, you know, that they're, into their home, home to their homes, and we didn't really miss a beat. Um, but uh, that, that's you know, so it, it, like many companies, we had to pivot and and proud of of what we did. That's amazing, um, Jeff. Maybe on a broader a broader question, we'd love to learn how you have changed Medtronic. You know, not necessarily in relation to COVID specifically, but how has your personal leadership style reverberated reverberated throughout Medtronic? Well, I'd say, let me, I'll answer in two parts. One, like what we've tangibly changed here and, and what we're working on from a culture standpoint, which I said, where my personal imprint comes in a little bit more, you know, one, one of the things um, I mentioned, the company wasn't, you know, very big. Uh, we doubled in size back in 2015 when we merged with a company called Covidian. And that's something I worked on personally and before I was CEO. And, but, you know, we, it's, it was time to kind of relook at the, the operating model of the company, everything from how we're organized to how we incent people to our to our culture. And so, you know, what we did from a structural standpoint is kind of decentralize the company and put, you know, we went from these three big groups of businesses, all everything cardiology is one, everything neuroscience is another, uh, and a third was surgery. And these three big businesses, we broke them down into 20 smaller businesses and collapsed our, our PL into these businesses and, and gave them much more empowerment. At the same time, we took three layers. We had 11 layers in the company. We took three layers out to make the company flatter. And the idea was to get these businesses closer to our customers, more focused on their uh, end markets uh, and, and innovating faster because we're competing with a lot of startups uh, that move fast and are well-funded. Uh, uh, there's a lot of money out there to invest in healthcare. And so that, you know, that's what we did tangibly uh, structurally. And then we changed to incentives to, and things like that to, to, to really focus on innovation. And we can come back to why innovation is so important right now in healthcare. Um, and, but then culturally, you know, Medtronic is a mission-driven company. You, know, you mentioned Earl Bakken. He, he and, and a, a few executives back to 1960 wrote our mission, which 
you know, we uh, six, six tenets of the mission, starting with, you know, uh, alleviating pain, restoring health and extending life and using biomedical technology to do that. It defines who we are, defines who we're not. Um, talks about personal worth of employees. It talks about being a good corporate citizen. It's a very comprehensive mission. Not a word's changed since 1960. You know, you hear companies changing their mission with every new CEO or whatever. We never do that. And, and, um, but there was a couple of things missing from that. It was, it was again, written in 1960. We weren't global. We didn't have many competitors. There was different things on our mind. And, um, and so, you know, we identified some gaps, myself and the leadership team, um, and, and talking to our investors and our customers that we could be doing better. And, and it really comes down to maintaining that mission-driven culture, which is our North Star. But on top of that, adding a couple of uh, cultural traits around moving faster, moving with speed and decisiveness as, as our end markets are moving, as a competition is moving, and as the world globalizes, you know, um, taking bolder actions, you know, um, thinking about the art of the possible and, and, you know, going for it. Uh, you know, where else in healthcare was that a good idea? I mean, you, you know, there's lots of opportunities for improvement in healthcare and the impact could be big. And then finally, just competing a little harder, right? We have, you know, we have a lot of competitors and, and we're known as a, as a great technology company and, and, and a great clinical company, but we also, not instead of, but also I'd like to be known as somebody that moves fast and competes hard. Uh, and so these are some of the you know, core tenets. We call it the Medtronic mindset, and there's five elements of it. Act boldly, number one, compete to win, move with speed and decisiveness, foster belonging. You, you mentioned, you know, I have a sports background. I'm a team guy. So foster a belonging, uh, a team that, that is inclusive. Uh, and then finally, just deliver the results. But just you can do it the right way, but deliver the results. And, and um, so that, that kind of results focused, you know, move with speed, compete harder. That, that is, you know, myself, my leadership team, really doing a lot of research on how to, and we, we package that up as our Medtronic mindset. And it's got a lot of energy and there's a lot of buzz and energy around Medtronic right now. I was visualizing your hockey days as you described that. <laughs> yes, captain of the Penn State hockey team and later inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Very impressive. Not and popular like- though here in Minnesota. You know, the Minnesota team, they don't like the <laughs> Penn State side. Yeah, a little, a little budding rivalry there with Penn State and University of Minnesota, but, but it's all good. <laughs> all good. Well, we're, I'm a fan because my partner on the radio, Paul Douglas, um, is a Penn State alum and he flies back for all the football games. So he's going to be really excited uh, when he hears that I spoke with you about this. And that actually brings me to uh, the next question that on my show, on the radio at CCO, we talk a lot about healthcare. We talk a lot about equity in this post-George Floyd era. We put them both together. So what is Medtronic's role in affordable and quality and equitable healthcare? Uh, well, first of all, we have a, a big role to play uh, in that. And, and um, as when, when, when we think about healthcare, we think about three things, which we call the universal healthcare needs that I think on the for, forefront of everyone's mind, whether you live in a, a developed country like the United States or some developing country like in sub-Saharan Africa, you want, people want better clinical outcomes. They want to get better faster, right? They, you know, they want better access uh, to, to these technologies that will drive those outcomes and, and, and at lower cost. Everybody's looking at that and, and, and diff- different degrees in different parts of the world, but these are the three universal healthcare needs. And as we've seen with the pandemic, you know, two things that have been really highlighted, um, you know, is 
not just everybody's always focused on, you know, better outcome. You know, everybody's looking for that latest technology, that latest, you know, whether it be me like medical technology, like we do, like uh, engineered technology or biotech, whatever, to cure their problem. Um, but more and more now, as the after the pandemic, is, is about access and cost. I mean, we've seen the inequities out there and we've seen how important uh, healthcare is. Um, so, so we have to look at all three. And I, we've seen that, uh, that um, you know, just more people working harder and more isn't the solution. We, we hear all the time about burnout. You hear about nursing shortages. So technology has to play. The only path forward to achieve those three goals at the same time, improving access, improving outcomes, improving access and reducing costs all at the same time. There's only one solution that's really going to drive that. That's technology. Yeah, you still need people. But if you're going to break the, the cost curve and, and improve access and you're, you need technology and the vaccine's a great, uh, a, a, you know, a, a great illustration of that. And so we are the leading uh, medical technology company in the world. And so we play a role in that. And, and so um, when we look at uh, our technologies, we think about it and we have to think about them in the context of different environments, like a, a, a higher, like a more robust resource environment, like we're used to in the United States or in Europe with, you have all kinds of fancy hospitals with imaging equipment and well-trained physicians. That's one environment, but then there's another low resource environment, like rural parts of the United States where people don't have access to care or, or, you know, like I mentioned, sub-Saharan Africa or India, where they don't have these hospitals or very many of them. And the, the ratio of physicians to people is, you know, way lower than what we see in the United States. And so we, we think about it both ways. And the company was built around, uh, frankly, about those developed markets, right? And, and I'll give you an example of like how our technology is helping in those developed markets drive up, up uh, improve access at lower costs. Uh, I'm holding here, I know your viewers can't be it, but another vitamin sized device, this is a pill that you swallow that is uh, taking the place of a diagnostic colonoscopy in, in the UK right now as we speak. So you swallow the pill, it has imaging technology, images your colon from the inside, beams those images to your phone, which you can't see it, don't worry. It's just a communication device. Then goes into the cloud where we have an AI algorithm that is better at picking out uh, you know, precancerous polyps or even cancer than physicians can. And then we beam that report back to your physician and then they talk to you about, okay, do you need to come in for a procedure or not? So uh, for every 10 colonoscopies that are performed, only three uh, times out of 10 does someone need something removed. The other seven, ten, seven times, it's just diagnostic and you, you don't need to go in the hospital for that procedure, which you're all familiar with or you, you at least heard about. Um, you guys look younger than me. So, so, you know, you, you, you uh, uh, this would avoid, this creates all kinds of access. So to think about it, all 10 people get screened. Only three have to go to this hospital for that expensive procedure, anesthesia, uh, and that, uh, that somewhat unpleasant experience that you've, you know, you know, or heard about. So Some that's might. creating oh, access. Yeah. And, and yeah. so in the UK and the NHS, the, the NHS is the health system in the UK, socialized healthcare, they're one payer. They've, they've built up a huge, waiting list of colonoscopies over COVID. So they're using this to burn through that. So that's an example in, in, in and they've accelerated the adoption of this technology. Cause like I said, it's the only path forward. I can give you 20 more examples like this where te technology is, is kind of bending the cost curve, improving access, but without sacrificing outcomes. Another example, um, and I'll just give you a little teaser. If you want to go into it more, we can. We've got, we've set up separate organizations dedicated 
to focusing on quality healthcare in low resource environments. They've been focused on, you know, places like India and, and Sub-Saharan Africa. And now we're bringing this to the United States. We call it Medtronic Labs. It's an organization, again, that we own. It's funded by our foundation, but it's set up to be like a social business. It doesn't, re, you know, they're developing um, scalable but sustainable solutions for, you know, that, that can be scaled on millions and millions of people, not at uh, low resource environments. And these are tech enabled, um, you know, uh, software solutions mainly right now th that have some low cost devices uh, attached to them. They rely on community based healthcare workers that we hire and train. Uh, and they rely on partnerships like like with governments, with uh, other industry players like uh, like pharma, you know, and and uh, so it's a we made we made we develop the software platform. We go out and hire and train community healthcare workers uh, deep into these rural areas, and then we have partnerships like with pharma. Think about the areas that we're focused on: diabetes, hypertension, so far, and then a, a very focused uh, hearing uh, therapy. And and like in the diabetes, we partner with some of the insulin delivery, insulin companies. We have insulin delivery. Uh, they have the insulin and we have the software to identify and connect patients to physicians and into us and to the, the farm industry. And it's, it's, these are, you know, it's, we're starting to get scale here. It is very hard to provide high quality healthcare in low resource rural settings um, at, you know, with, at, with a very low cost and, and, and do that in a sustainable way where you're not reliant on charity forever. You can't, cause that's not a sustainable model. So, you know, this is something Medtronic's been working on for the past decade and is now starting to hit that inflection point where we've got the cost down, we've got, the, you know, the focus, the outcomes are, are, are good, and we're very excited about this and actually now bringing it back into the United States. And because every time I go talk to a hospital CEO in the U.S., you know, inevitably they have a community near them that's in their catchment area that is effectively like a low resource environment. You've got Camden, New Jersey, you've got North Minneapolis here and where um, you, know, you need a different approach and hospitals are looking for a different approach, technology enabled and, and can Medtronic be a partner. And so we're bringing that Medtronic lab um, technology and business model here in the United States. So long answer, but it, you great. touched upon a very passionate topic for me. No, that is just great. And, you know, Jeff, I was going to ask you how Medtronic is using technology to improve healthcare for patients but you've given us that and a lot more, but I wanna give you the opportunity if there are any other examples of um, how, how it's affecting the patients or the innovation, and we wanna give you an opportunity to elaborate here. Well, sure, um, I mean, there's, there's things like, I, I break it into two categories. Like think about surger, surgical procedures and how we're innovating there. I, I would talk about the combination of um, using data and AI to do uh, more sophisticated surgical plans where may maybe there's none being done today. Like for example, in spine surgery, we're using um, various patient data, plus like the images that you get when you go to your doctor and you say, my back hurts, they take some images. We use that in combination of AI to do very um, nuanced surgical plans that then are fed into, uh, into the procedure where we have robotics, interoperative imaging, interoperative navigation. So think of like Google Maps for your spine, right? Um, and we can, you know, perform um, robotically surgeon assisted robot. Well, this, in this case, it's automated. The robot does the surgery 
uh, and, and you can confirm that it's going well with interoperative imaging and navigation. And then we can track the patient's images and, and then feed that algorithm. So every surgical procedure that happens, that algorithm is getting smarter and smarter because we're doing the closed loop following, following those patients to see how well it worked. So you're adding a lot of sophistication and making spine surgery more of a science. Today, it's like an art. And you're highly dependent on the skill set of your surgeon. And there just isn't enough of these surgeons around the world. So, so that's one example. You know, we just launched a, another surgical robot uh, in Europe, which will be in the United States here uh, on clinical trials here very soon. And that's, uh, you know, for more, you know, kind of thoracic and abdominal type, you know, surgical procedures. So robotics is a big one. We have a robot for brain surgery as well. So we have like, well, three robots on the market. So that's, that's brain, you know, surgical. And then I'd talk about more chronic disease and longitudinal patient management where we're, we're, um, we have a sensor out there. And again, this one's the size of like a match stick that, that goes under your skin uh, and like in your chest area and it, again, Bluetooth to your phone and into the cloud. And we're, con you know, we're monitoring, it's always on. It has a battery life of five years, you know, put the, to insert this sensor, a primary care physician can do it today, mainly cardiologists do it, but in most cases, it doesn't even involve a stitch, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, and it's always on and it's very sensitive and specific. And so we can really monitor AFib patients. So, so AFib, um, atrial fibrillation is very common and it's, it's a, it's a leading cause of stroke and it's a, it, and then the medicine, typically you're prescribed a bunch of medicines. My mom's on it. I've seen the impact it's had on her life It you can control the AFib, but at what cost? I mean, the, the side effects of these medicines are, are, are pretty difficult, but we can track the AFib and determine, do you need less? You can tune down the medicine because AFib is very intermittent. And uh, that's just one example where we can diagnose, monitor, diagnose, and navigate patients to a better solution. Um, and so again, you're, you're, you're having better outcomes. You're providing them access because we can, in partner with your local uh, healthcare system, we can navigate patients right where they need to go. Go right to the AFib specialist. You know, um, I don't need to go to the emergency room or what have you, or um, and it can avoid the escalation. So you're improving outcomes, you're improving access and you're lowering costs. So, the, you know, these are, you know, medical technology, the advancement, I'll summarize, say the advancement of medical technology right now is profound. You've got better computing power, smaller electronics, you've got robotics and, you know, you've got, you know, data and AI all coming together uh, and put, putting medical technology on an inflection point where most people around the world, especially in the United States, their first their first instinct is give me a pill. Pills have a lot of side effects. This is a more engineered solution that is becoming less and less invasive. Um, uh, like I showed you, the size of our pacemaker is like a tiny vitamin. Uh, you know, you swallow, you, you take a pill for your colonoscopy, you put a matchstick size sensor just under your skin to, you know, it, it's amazing what's going on. Medtronic's in the in, in the middle of this and, and leading many areas. And it's, it's, it's really a exciting time for our industry right now and for our company. That is so cool. I mean, I, I love the, how you phrase tone down the meds. A lot of this R and D is happening right here in, 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 in Minneapolis and in Minnesota here. I mean, it's the R and D for medical technology globally, not just Medtronic, but the, for the whole industry is largely done in, in, in a couple of hubs, like, you know, Boston area, the largest, those, the twin cities. And then the, the, um, the Bay area, you know, but a lot of for med tech, the largest area is, is Minneapolis. So there's so much, a lot of it's Medtronic, but there's a lot of startups. There's some of our competitors here. It's, it's really a gem for the United States. And, and it's the, the epicenter of that is right here in the twin cities. It's been that way since 19, you know, mid 1950s when the pacemaker first came out to this day. 
Jeff, we are so lucky to have you and Medtronic in our midst right here in Fridley. Uh, we are proud of that. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I learned so much and I could listen to you talk about this new technology forever, but I'm glad we at least got a, a glimpse into the healthcare of the future with you today. Thank you, Jeff. Well, thanks for hosting me, both of you. Really, I really enjoyed it and uh, you know, happy to be on the program. Hope to see you again soon. Oh, we learned a ton. Thank you, Jeff. It's just been great. Jeff and Kate, great conversation. I want to thank you for listening to See Speak Minnesota, the language of executives. I'm Jordana Green with my partner, Kate Kelly, PNC Bank Regional President. Thanks, Kate. I can't wait till next month.